Welcome hey. to Mind Body Health. Well, thank you very much for being in the studio today. I'm sorry I'm not there, Cobb. Um, but we have a great show with Dr. Singh. How do you do, Dr. Singh? Good morning, Dr. Trotter. I'm doing well. Good. Well, um, <clears throat> we're going to discuss something that everybody should listen to about hypertension and other things about your heart. And, Dr., but first of all, I'd like to hear where Sham, how did Sham get to Mendocino County? Good morning. Yeah, good morning, everybody out there listening. Um, I, uh, I grew up in Stockton, California, um, and most of my time spent in just uh, Central Valley. Um, I went to school uh, out in UC Davis, did my undergraduate there, um, did my medical school training at UC Davis as well. So I spent, a, spent a quite a bit of time in Sacramento and in Davis. And, you know, I, leaving um, medical school, I really wanted the more traditional family medicine training, sort of full scope in a small town. Um, and Ukiah was really the place that I felt like I could do that here in, here in California. Um, that's how I ended up here in Mendocino. And it's probably a little more full scope than you uh, had hoped for. Um, I know that the listeners probably don't realize what the, what the residents are doing because Dr. Chetlin and Dr. Newkirk uh, have you all go into the rooms to see the COVID patients in the ICU, not them because of their age. Um, that must be a little bit unsettling. Yeah, it's, it's definitely more than I had anticipated. Um, you know, we, we really do see um, the sickest patients in the hospital. Yeah. Yes, and there's 13 of them as of yesterday. I was a little bit blown away by that. It was only six, to, six a week or so ago. Um, it's, it's a... It's a terrible disease, but we're, we're going to talk about something else. But anyway, um, discuss the family residency program just a little bit more because I think the listeners um, need to realize what a gem of a situation we have in Ukiah for primary care. Yeah, so family medicine residency or, you know, a residency program in general, um, what it does is it, it brings a whole group of doctors to a community um you know ukiah and mendocino county has struggled with having primary care providers um and with with the family medicine program there's a lot of faculty that come with it a lot of new faculty to help teach the residents and each class of residents and there's three class there there will be three classes at any given time has six residents each so you'll have 18 residents training here in Ukiah at any given time um, by next year. And the additional six or seven faculty that we have. So you, you go from having not enough primary care doctors to now having over 20 doctors here in the area ready to, to take care of the community. Yes, it's, it's, it's um, obviously our hope that you'll love and you'll fall in love with Mendocino County, it's Redwoods and Ocean and not want to go back to Stockton. Um, but be that as may, it's um, um, being an internal medicine doctor myself is my training. 
lots and lots of people used to go into primary care, and that isn't the situation anymore because I think one is the school debt and lifestyles, et cetera. But if you ask me the number one problem with American medicine, it's primary care, be it pediatrics or internal medicine or family practice. My two cents. Yeah, I would, I would agree. Um, primary care doctors are, it's, it's so hard to get into a specialist and what specialist you want to get into unless you've seen a primary care doctor and a primary care doctor that has had a chance to work with you and really figure out, you know, where's the best place to, for you to get taken care of. Yeah, and you have to know everything about everything. So what do you want to talk to, talk to us about today? Yeah, so today, um, you know, I want to talk about something that I see almost on a daily basis, not multiple times a day in, in my clinic and in, in, in my practice, and that's hypertension, or more commonly known as high blood pressure. And, you know, we'll talk, we can talk about how we diagnose it, how we treat it, and the various complications that, that come with it. So let's start with hypertension because it's one of those things that you don't know that you have it. You're, you don't have any symptoms from it. And I'm shocked at how many people kind of go along and say, oh, I have a little hypertension. And they don't really understand the pathophysiology of what that does to you. Yeah, hypertension is really one of those chronic silent diseases that slowly you know, damages your body and you just don't feel it. And you don't feel that it's there. And oftentimes people let it go on for years before they end up doing anything about it. Um, so the way, the way we define hypertension is a blood pressure for, it's varies a little bit by age, but from anyone from 18 years to 60, we say if it's above 140 over 90, we say you have hypertension. We loosen that a little bit once, um, People are above 80 and they don't have any other uh, comorbidities. We say like 150 over 90. Um, but generally, that's sort of the range that I'm looking at. If your blood pressure is above 140 over 90, I'm getting worried that you might have hypertension. Can, so you, can you expand on what 140 over 90 is, what those numbers actually represent in someone's body? Sure. So the first number is what we call the systolic blood pressure. And that's when your heart is actively pumping. So that's going to be the maximal pressure in your vessels when your heart is pumping. Um, the second one, the, the number on the bottom, is the diastolic blood pressure. That's the pressure when your heart is relaxed. So those two pressures, the systolic and diastolic, give us sort of the maximal pressure and the pressure in your vessels when your heart is relaxed. And that gives us a good sort of estimate of what the pressure is in your in your vessel at any given time. It's good to have an EMT as your moderator. <clears throat> um, so tell us a little bit about that. You know, what's the difference? What does what some people have just elevated systolic pressure? Other people have too high of a diastolic pressure. What are the what are the differences that you know, how does that affect your body, those two pressures? Yeah, so those two pressures, um, having a high systolic pressure, um, you know, every time your heart beats, you're getting this influx of high pressure going to your organs. And that's, over time, going to cause damage. The, the diastolic blood pressure, you know, when your heart's relaxed, 
over time, your blood vessels will come, become stiffened from the, the, the years of damage. Um, and that can, over time, raise your diastolic blood pressure as well. So even at rest, now your blood pressure is higher than, than what it should be. And with those, if both those numbers are high, then your average blood pressure um, is high all the time as well. So that's, that's sort of how those two numbers play out in, in my head. You know, most people don't realize, but I'm going to have to talk about Dr. Ives and renal pathology, <clears throat> renal pathology because she's amazed at how many people go around with blood pressure and, and come to see her with kidney disease and don't understand the connection. Yeah, so kidney failure, um, it's, it's, it's interesting people don't understand sort of all the different organs that your, your blood pressure is going to affect, but the kidneys are certainly a vital organ. And the kidneys are a highly perfused organ, meaning there's a lot of small blood vessels that carry blood into the kidney. And with, with high blood pressures for a long amount of time, those small blood pressures are taking damage and becoming diseased. So the blood flow to your kidney, when you've had blood pressure for many years, is reduced and your kidneys are not getting the blood flow they need to get. So your body's going to start accumulating toxins. Um, and you know, we know the kidneys are the filters of our of our blood. So if they're not getting the blood they need, then that's a that's definitely a problem. It it distressed me how many um, people she says are put on dialysis because of uncontrolled blood pressure. You know, a perfectly preventable sort of thing. Do you want to talk about drugs? Um, sure. Because I think yeah. there's a lot of education. People, you know. Um, it makes me a little bit crazy talking about the drugs, but I think if people understand what the different drugs do, then they're more likely to take the drugs if, if they know how that it affects them. Yeah, we can definitely you know talk about the drugs. So in in my practice, there's you know four main therapies that I go to when I'm trying to treat blood pressure. Um, the first one, and I'll and I'll go through sort of the generic names and then some brand names as well. So the ACE or the angio angiotensin converting enzyme inhibitors or the ARBs. Um, commonly, the medications you might have heard of are like lisinopril or losartan. Now, this, this class of medication works on the kidneys. Um, it affects the hormones in the kidneys and it also works to reduce um, the amount of uh, vasoconstriction in your in your blood vessel so it, it helps dilate your blood vessels and it helps the kidneys um, excrete some of the fluid in your body to help reduce your blood pressure so people who are at risk for kidney disease especially our folks with diabetes we really like to start with an ace on our because um, that sort of it helps us prevent damage to your kidneys and it also helps us bring down their blood pressure so we're getting two benefits there. um the next class of medications, uh, I would say, are uh, calcium channel blockers or amlodipine is, is a common one we use. That, that medication works on the heart and it works on your blood pressures. And it reduces sort of the, the power at which the heart is contracting. And that helps bring down some, a, a person's blood pressure. It also helps dilate the, the arteries to reduce the blood pressure as well. Um, and then 
of the other ones, thiazides, which is a diuretic medication. Often people are on hydrochlorothiazide or chlorthalidone. Um, that helps the kidneys excrete water and salt, and that'll help bring down someone's blood pressure as well. Um, so if someone's holding on to a lot of water in their body, um, that's a medication that can often be helpful. And then the last one I go to um, would be a, a beta blocker, or oftentimes metoprolol is the, is the drug we use. And that helps bring down someone's heart rate. And if the heart is pumping at a slower rate, you're going to have a lower blood pressure. I think my favorites are the ACE inhibitors and, and Norvasc, the you know vasodilator, because both those classes of drugs, people complain about side effects of this and that, but you know, it's the rare person that gets a cough from the ACE inhibitor, you know, one in a million or something. But both of those drugs work so well, and I don't think that anybody notices that they're on them. Yeah, I oftentimes have a lot of success with the ACE and the ARBs and um, uh, the calcium channel blockers as well. Yeah, occasionally, you, you get someone that has a side effect to them, and then we can change it out for something else. We have other options. But most of the time, I, I feel like people are quite successful with those with those medications. And most of those are just once a day dosing. I think, you know, people, I don't know. It, it's, you know, I think family practice, so much of family practice is the psychology of the physician with the patient because it isn't a matter of not knowing the medicine or whatever, but it's getting the patient to engage in their health it, it, is an is a interesting aspect of it. Yeah, I it's always it's always nice to have a patient that's engaged who wants to really take ownership of their of their care and you know I'm I can prescribe as any as many medications but you know it's it's really nice to have someone who's receptive and you know my goal is always to make it as easy as possible for the patient so you know, the once daily dosing I think is is great you know taking a medication once a day is a lot easier from taking a medication two times a day or three times a day. I know I couldn't, you know, remember to take a medication three times a day. So, yeah. And, and, you know, if your blood pressure is controlled, your heart isn't working so hard. And I try to get people to realize it's, it's a lot easier if your heart's just uh, pumping along and enjoying itself rather than having a workout 24 seven. What um, let's talk about, okay. Say you don't take care of your blood pressure. We talked about, you can go on, dialysis removing your kidneys what are the other aspects of why people say oh i don't need to take that blood pressure medicine sure so you know nearly every organ is affected and just to run through some of the the big ones and we can talk about the heart in more more detail as well um we'll start with we'll start with the brain you're going to end up damaging the blood vessels in your brain you're going to get reduced blood supply and that might lead to strokes in the future or, or memory issues, um, brain or the your eyes. Um, you can get hypertensive retinopathy, um, loss of vision due to sustained high blood pressure um, going to your eyes, and of course your heart. You can get heart attacks, cardiomyopathy, heart failure due to that as well. Um, I think those are probably the the biggest ones that people are going to be concerned about: your eyes, your brain, and your heart. Would you talk about cardiomyopathy? Because I don't think that people realize, you know, people come in and I've never had a heart attack. Why do I have heart failure? I don't, you know, what's what's wrong? Why is my heart failing on me? I've never, you know, uh, 
had a heart attack or a viral viral illness or you know uh, I don't have any irregular heartbeats but why well, I'm in a, I'm in heart failure and that's one of those things that again people just don't realize what's going on if you d- could discuss that yeah so the heart the heart's a pump and it's a muscle and it's pumping 24/7 for your entire life and when you have high blood pressure your heart is pumping against that high blood pressure so over time you know your heart's like any other muscle if you went to the gym and did a lot of curls you're going to get big biceps when your blood when your heart is pumping against high blood pressure your the muscles in your heart grow over time well, what 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 we call hypertrophy um so that when your heart grows over time it can cut off blood flow to itself because of the bulk of the of the heart tissue now and that's going to lead to sort of dysfunction of the heart one now your heart's an abnormal size so it's not optimal um and you're cutting off uh blood supply to the heart as well and you're going to have um low flow to the heart muscles you're going to get ischemia and that's where sort of the heart attack comes in the the uh, thing that i try to explain to people and i'm going to have an aside here is you know that 65 percent of the blood when your heart normally pumps goes out to your body and they don't understand when i had a friend of mine from alcohol uh came in and when heart failure out of the blue he was in heart failure and his echocardiogram showed an ejection fraction of 25 percent and he just didn't understand that and that's if you could discuss that a little bit the ejection fraction because i think if people understand what's going on more they're they're more apt to oh i want to prevent that yeah um so you know your heart when it relaxes it fills up fills up with a certain volume of of blood and then it pumps that blood out to the body and during that pumping phase ideally you get about 60% of that volume pumped out to your to your body um and that that sort of percent the ejection fraction is what we follow to give us a good gauge of what a person's heart function is like and if it's a if it's in that 50 to 60% range we're, we're we're feeling pretty good um once that ejection fraction starts dropping then we get concerned for heart failure at that point your your heart's not pumping enough blood to supply your organs and over time that's going to that's going to cause problems so, if you just tuned in, this is the Mind Body Health Show on KZUX Radio. My name is Calvin Engineering. Our host today is Dr. Marvin Trotter, and our guest is Dr. Sham Singh, part of the residency program uh, at Adventist Health Ukiah, and we've been discussing blood pressure. Uh, Dr. Singh, I wonder if you could take just a little step back a moment, too, um, for anyone who just tuned in and, and map out, you just started, you know, the basic heart, blood pressure function, and what a normal blood pressure is, um, and when you're treating with the various medications that you just discussed, you know, what kind of target of blood pressure reduction are you looking for? Sure, um... So, you know, when, when someone has a blood pressure over 140, over 90, we say they have hypertension. And we usually target, um, my, my treatment goal is to get someone into, back into the normal range. Ideally, I want to get them a little bit lower, like into the 130s, 120s, over, over 70s. But, you know, I, if I can get someone 
back below 140 over 90, that's also, I think, a win in my book. Um, and that's sort of my goal with treatment and with various lifestyle modifications, which we can chat about well as well later in the show. So talk, let's talk about exercise, because that's one thing that um, continually amazes me uh, amongst the American public. And, and I'm always surprised to how these studies show that you don't have to exercise three hours a day to stay in fair shape. Yeah, I think, you know, when I when I look at the how effective lifestyle modifications can be for lowering blood pressure, it's, it's really quite amazing. And having 30 minutes of walking a day, most of the days of the week, I would say, you know, three or four, you can reduce your blood pressure four to nine points just by doing that. And you're not going to the gym, you don't need to do anything strenuous, just 30 minutes of brisk walking. You can even break that up morning and evening if, if 30 minutes at any given time is too much. And I think you know that alone can drop your blood pressure four to nine um, points. Incorporating that with other things like dietary modification, reducing your alcohol consumption, losing a little weight, reducing your stress, or uh, stopping smoking, you can drop your blood pressure 10, 20 points just, just with those modifications. So if you're only slightly above what is normal, you can get back into the normal range with purely um, lifestyle modifications. Why do those activities reduce our blood pressure? So those, I mean, so a physical activity um, is going to strengthen your heart. So that's that's going to help. Sort of, and there's also hormonal changes that take place in your body that, that are going to help reduce the, the blood pressure. Um, dietary changes comes down to reducing the amount of salt you're taking in. So having a diet that's lower in salt, higher in rich nutrient foods, again, that's going to help reduce some of that blood pressure. And alcohol has been shown to increase blood pressure, so cutting back on that reduces blood pressure. And the same with smoking and the same with stress. Cutting back on those, reducing your stress is going to have beneficial effects on blood pressure. Some of that, too, is related to the way the blood vessels work, right? Because the heart's a muscle, but aren't the blood vessels also muscles? Exactly. The, the, blood, the blood vessels are actually a string of, of small muscles. And um, the same way that the, blood, the heart contracts and pumps, the blood vessels can also contract and, and, and dilate. Um, and that has a tremendous effect on someone's blood pressure. I always like to tell people that you know, when you're young, your blood vessels are like surgical tubing, and when you're my age, you become PVC pipes. Um, and you know, just the aging, uh, particularly with systolic uh, hypertension, people just you know, the better you control your blood pressure now, you're going to really appreciate that when you're 50 and 60. Yeah, and that's sort of the, the time effect that, you know, we, we probably should talk about. You know, when if someone has high blood pressure for a day or two or a week, the damage is not going to be, you know, that much. When you have high blood pressure for months, years, the damage you're sustaining, that's not going to be able to be reversed once you're once you're that far along. So that's why we, we, we try to get people early. Um, we try to get them their blood pressure controlled so that we can really prevent the, 
to damage years down the road. Because then someone comes to the clinic and they're like, well, how did this happen? You know, why, why are my kidneys failing or why do I have heart failure? Um, and it's often because they've had high blood pressure and they haven't seen a doctor in 20 years and all this damage has taken place. Yeah, and you don't think about it when you're 20 or 30 that you need to have your blood pressure controlled. And and like I say, Dr. Ives says she's just shocked at how many people come to see her when they have 20% of their kidney function left. And it's because they're 55 and have family history of hypertension and never do anything about it and keep telling her, well, I feel fine. Well, you may feel fine, but your kidneys don't. Exactly. And I think this might be a good a good segue into talking about the various sort of risk factors for developing heart disease um, and, and cardiovascular disease. You know, when I when I think about risk factors, there's sort of two classes of risk factors I think about. One, things that you can't modify, things you're born with, um, and modifiable risk factors, risk factors that we can actually do something about, that we can intervene on. The non the non modifiable risk factors are age your sex, if you're male or female, in your family history. Um, men tend to have increased risks of heart disease. Um, and you know, having a family history of heart disease or cardiovascular disease also predisposes you to having cardiovascular disease. Unfortunately, those are things you can't change, but you can at least be aware of them and, and get the appropriate screening. The modifiable risk factors are the more interesting ones. This is where, you know, we can, we can make changes and those are hypertension diabetes obesity smoking physical activity and cholesterol levels yeah those are the things you sort of when i see a patient i'm looking at yearly looking at their labs looking at their blood pressures seeing where can we make the changes to keep this person's risk of cardiovascular events low you know, the one thing that always gets me, or not gets me, but the one thing I focused on, I'd be here interested in seeing what you have to say. I try to get the, my patients to go for a walk most days because there's something about if you get them to go for the walk, just like you say, for 30 minutes uh, most days, there's something that clicks about their health. I don't know if the endorphins in their brains make it feel good, or once they're walking, I think that they realize gosh, I'm not in that good a shape, you know, because we can leave such sedentary lives um, that, oh, I, I don't know, there's something psychologically, and I'd like to hear from the primary care doc, what, what uh, you know, you see. Yeah, you know, I'm not, I'm not sure what the mechanism behind that is, but that's a similar approach to what I take. You know, whenever I'm asking someone to make a change in their life or add exercise back into their life, I, I say start small, start small and, and go from there. So, you know, if, if you, if you haven't been walking for years, start with 10 minutes a day and work up from that and then go to 15, then 20. I think when you ask someone to make too big of a change, all of a sudden that often backfires. So my strategy with, with, you know, lifestyle changes is always small incremental changes, um, over time and sort of build, build on that. Um, and build up to walking 30 minutes a day. And then, you know, if at that point you're ready to do other exercise, go and bend and go for it. 
Yeah, because I think once people start walking, they think about what they're eating. They think about, oh, I shouldn't be smoking so much. They think about, I need to take better care of myself. And they become engaged in their own health more. Yeah, um, it, it really is a snowball effect. And it's just, you know, taking that first step uh, and making those first few changes to really compound on each other. For older... Go ahead. For people that uh, maybe have disabilities that prevent them from, say, walking or doing certain things, what other kind of basic exercises are available to people that they can uh, try that will reduce hypertension? Sure. Um, that's a that's a great question. You know, I'm not entirely sure sort of what sort of exercises are available to people who may be wheelchair-bound, but in doing anything with with your arms, um, whether it's, it's, it's lifting or just wheeling yourself around. I think that any, anything that gets your heart rate is, is what I would say. Exercise is just a way to get your body moving and get your heart rate up. Um, and that's, that's the goal. There's, I don't think there's anything magical about walking. Walking just happens to be a, a common activity that we can all easily do. Got it. Thanks. I've been going nuts because I can't go to the gym anymore. So I've been doing push-ups at home. It looks pretty funny, you know, to try to do push-ups at my age. It takes me a few sets to get up to 50 push-ups. But that's, and then I got a couple dumbbells. But it's it's hard right now to do anything. But walking is still COVID okay. Yeah, I think you know, with with COVID, we've all had to make changes and adapt our our lifestyles, you know, I, I'll often run in place in my room or do jumping jacks in place or do sort of whatever I can in, in sort of the, the restricted nature that we live in right now. But it's just, it, it's important to continue doing something because otherwise it's, it's really easy to fall into a sedentary lifestyle and, and then it, it, it becomes harder to come back from that. Can you relate? heart rate to blood pressure in terms of what a normal heart rate is and what kind of heart rate you see in people with hypertension that kind of thing um so a normal heart rate would be below 100 um often below 90s um people heart rate often relates with your cardiovascular health um Athletes who have really strong hearts will have a much lower heart rate. Their heart rates can be 40s, 50s, because their hearts are so efficient at pumping that they don't have to pump as many times a minute as someone who has poor cardiovascular health. Their heart rate may be 80s, 90s, because their their heart's really working hard to maintain blood pressure. And the way heart rate re- relates to blood pressure, um, you know, the body has a lot of uh, systems to keep those two in check. If, if your blood pressure is dropping for whatever reason, if you stand up suddenly, then your heart rate kicks up. So your heart's beating more times a minute to help maintain your blood pressure. If you're relaxed, you're sitting, you're lying in bed, your heart rate's gonna slow down because your heart doesn't need to pump as fast to maintain your blood pressure. So that's sort of where the relationship between heart rate and blood pressure comes in. My daughter uh, was a cross-country runner, and it drove me nuts that she had heart rate at 42 or something like that. I thought she was going to pass out any moment, but it didn't work that way. She just 
open, you know, was quite comfortable with a heart rate in the 40s. Yeah, it's always amazing to see those low heart rates. Unfortunately, mine's definitely not that low. Um, so I kind of envy those people. Um, do you want to, I, I want you to take just a, you know, I think the public would like to hear, I know this may be a little off topic. What is the daily week for you as a resident? Because I think people may have no idea of what's um, going on in the hospital. How you how do you do hospital in the office? And you don't. Have, and maybe you don't want to talk about this at all. And you want to go back to cardiovascular. Disease. No, I think we can definitely uh, venture a little bit into this. I think okay. residency sometimes. You know, I also all family members or friends that I'm in residency, and I, you know, you can tell that they don't quite understand what that what that means or what that entails. And our sort of our our lives as residents varies month to month so we're on different services each month last month i was on the inpatient medicine service so i was taking care of patients in the hospital and on on a week like that i'm working six days a week i generally get there 5 45 to 6 a.m i'm in the morning see my patients then we round on my patients with with one of the attending doctors um and then the rest of the day is spent doing other patient care related activities. And generally we're there until um, 6 p.m. In the, in the afternoon. And that's sort of repeated every day for the, for the week. Um, currently I'm on, I'm on a rotation where I, I'm doing a lot of outpatient stuff. So I'm in the clinic a lot, three or four times a week. I'm in the clinic um, seeing patients um, as, a, as a family medicine provider. Um, so it's a, and I get weekends off, which is which is great. I get to go see my girlfriend or family when I have time. I like the way you said six p.m. in the afternoon. You know, most people think twelve-hour days, or you know, six p.m. is kind of, you know, but it's it is a demanding job. Um, there's so much to learn, and in family practice, it's everything. And that's why that's one reason I went into internal medicine. At least it was, you know, I didn't have to deal with OB/GYN or pediatrics or whatever. Sure. Um, yeah. Yeah. There's definitely there's there's a lot of things. You know, when I sort of think about my residency training, there's a lot of things I have to sort of get good at. Have to have to figure out how to do OB care. Have to get. I have to figure out how to do pediatric care. And you know, taking care of adults is sometimes easier because we have. There's there's a lot of adults to take care of, so we that that experience is easier to come by. So, Cobb, you want to announce uh, some phone calls? Well, if people want to talk to Doctor Sang, family medicine resident, he's in his second year here. Sure. Three. So uh, today we're speaking with Doctor Singh. He is one of the residents at Adventist Health Ukiah. Uh, our host today is. Marvin Trotter, this is the Mind Body Health Show. You're tuned to KZYX. Thank you for tuning in. If you'd like to ask a question of our guest, uh, in particular, we've been discussing hypertension and blood pressure, uh, please call the studio number. It's 707 895 2448. That number to call with a question would be 707 895 2448, and we'll get your question on the air. Looks like we have one uh, right away. Welcome to Mind Body Health. Go ahead with your question. Hi, yes, I was wondering did the doctor refer to amlodipine as a calcium blocker? Did you catch that, doctor? Yeah, so. 
Yeah, um, amlodipine is a calcium channel blocker, not not necessarily a calcium blocker to the whole body. And and what that means is calcium is used in the muscles for for helping the muscles contract. So in your heart or in your um, blood vessels, amlodipine prevents some of that calcium from getting in, and it stops the heart from contracting so hard, and it helps dilate some of your blood vessels. And in with that mechanism, it helps reduce your blood pressure. It's not, you know, if if you're worried about your total body calcium or um, your bone health, amlodipine shouldn't have an effect on that. Good question. Thanks for the call. So again, if you'd like to call in, as the last caller did, the number is 707-895-2448 to ask a question of our guest. Welcome to Mind Body Health. You're live on the radio. Hi there. I'm turning my radio down. Can you hear me now? Yep. Go ahead with your question. Oh, uh, yeah, the question is uh, uh, pretty straightforward. Uh, so about a year ago, uh, after a kind of a long run of trying to figure out what was going on, um, I was diagnosed with, well, first of all, I, I had previously been diagnosed with, you know, having... A, a heart arrhythmia that was um, said to be first noticed because they noticed I had really low blood, blood blood pressure or not low blood pressure a low heart rate but in fact I had a uh, a bigeminy and uh, so an erratic heartbeat and apparently it was racing at sometimes but I didn't know that I went through a thing of uh, wearing a heart monitor and stuff. I'm with the VA. So I ended up down in, in San Francisco and had a consultation with them. And then about a year ago, I finally, uh, well, actually it was a little less than that. It was in March. Uh, the lockdown had already happened. So I ended up on the telephone with this doctor who was very helpful. And um, I had started taking, they had given me metrop- metropolol, I believe that's the name of the drug. And, yes. Um, and, and they said that it was that I had very slightly elevated blood pressure and had had that through a period of checks uh, checkups, but not not radically elevated. But they said that this drug would also have uh, stand a good chance of calming down the, the erratic heartbeats. Why don't you talk about uh, that? That's a good question, Doctor Singh. What is what do beta blockers do for your pr- blood pressure and your heart? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. So, metoprolol is a medication that we use fairly commonly, and it's often with patients who have arrhythmias and you know maybe have a component of hypertension in there as well. So, beta blockers block there's a there's a beta receptor. Um, on your heart muscle um, and in your in your various nodes of the heart that control the heart rate. So metoprolol um, acts on on those receptors and it decreases the rate at which your heart is contracting. Um, oftentimes we'll use um, metoprolol if someone has what we call tachycardia or a fast heart rate or if someone has atrial fibrillation, someone whose heart rate is jumping into an arrhythmia where it's beating faster than it normally should. And metoprolol helps sort of calm down the heart rate and bring it back to a more normal um, rate. And it also has the effect of 
bringing down your blood pressure. Usually when I think about metoprolol, it's not the greatest blood pressure medications. If I'm targeting purely blood pressure, that's not one I would go to. But if there's a combination of an arrhythmia and blood pressure, then that can, that can play a good role in, in targeting both of those. Why don't you talk about Coreg for a second? Because I think a lot of people in heart failure are on a beta blocker and, you know, why, 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 why are they using that drug? Yeah, so Coreg is um, carvedilol. It's, uh, it's in the same sort of class as um, the the beta blockers as metoprolol is. Um, it's but it's it's slightly different. It it's better. It's, it's been shown to be better for your heart, and it has better outcomes for patients who have cardiovascular disease. So oftentimes, the patients who have um, cardiovascular disease um, will we will sort of go for Coreg because um, it's, it's been shown to actually have um, mortality benefit in those in those patients. Can I finish my question? What? Yeah. Go ahead with your question. So, yeah, the, the rest of the question was this. I just wanted to say, uh, after a period of time of taking that drug, I went from having 40% of the time, according to the heart monitor, of erratic heartbeats to 1%. So that was wow. very good. Uh, I also had all the stress tests and all that kind of stuff and the uh, echocardiogram, you know, to determine did I have a problem with the heart muscle or um, blood flow, uh, arteries, and so on. And that all checked out good. But my question is simply this. What is the effects, side effects of uh, a long-term use of metropolol? Okay. Thanks for the good question. question. Yeah, so the the sort of the side effects of metoprolol are, are, are going to be similar to the effects of metoprolol. So metoprolol is going to is reduce is going to reduce your heart rate. So one of the things that can sometimes happen is if someone has a low heart rate to begin with, then you add metoprolol on top of that, it can reduce their heart rate even further, and and cause bradycardia or, or or a slow heart heart rate. And oftentimes that's something that um, can happen. Um, other than that, you know, there's not too many side effects to metoprolol. It's not going to, it's not one of the medications that I worry about for dropping your blood pressure too low, um, unless you, unless you, for some reason, have lower blood pressure to begin with, then, then it's possibly going to have that effect. All right, we should have another caller. Nope. Tell people where they can find you, Sham. Yeah, so we, we're at the um, Family Medicine Clinic, um, right, sort of, if, if they know where the, the Ukiah Hospital, um, the Adventist Health Hospital is, it's the building across the street. Um, it's a Family Medicine Clinic on the first floor. I can get a phone number here if you give me a second. So it's the two-story building across from Labor and Delivery. Um, is where the family residency clinic is. And yeah, and our our it's the address is two sixty Hospital Drive. Um, we're in Suite one hundred three. Our phone number, if you want to get in contact with the clinic and schedule an appointment, is 707-463-7495. That's seven zero seven four six three seven four nine five. Got it. Thanks. 
Welcome to Mind Body Health. Go ahead with your question. Uh, I have two things. Uh, one is when you go to a, a doctor, uh, and whether it's a cardiologist or a routine, uh, they take your blood pressure, and if it's a little high, they say, well, just sit still now and calm down, and it'll come down. And sure enough, it does. So we don't go through life sitting down. We go through life being active, and if your blood pressure is high when you're active, it sounds to me to be almost meaningless if it's low when you're inactive because we are not an inactive uh, species. The other thing is, is the correlation between hydration and blood pressure, uh, if any. Uh, so that's the two things. Thanks for the questions. That's a, that's a great question. That's a good conundrum we often face in the office. Um, we have patients that come in who will initially have a high blood pressure, like you said, and sort of what our protocol is to have, you know, we, we, we wait 15 minutes and we take another blood pressure and see if it's back into a normal range. And that's one of the problems with, you know, having taking a blood pressure at one point in time when, when someone comes to the clinic. Now, oftentimes coming to the doctor is associated with anxiety, what we call white coat syndrome. Just coming to the doctor alone can raise your blood pressure. Um, so the ways, you know, I get around that or something that I find useful is if a patient can get a blood pressure cuff at home and log their blood pressure on a daily basis, that gives us a lot more data points to look at and really see what your blood pressure is like. Um, so we're not just looking at one point in time when you, when you came to the, to the doctor and that can often be, you know, skewed by other factors like anxiety. And what about, uh, body fluid uh, salt levels and yeah hydration. so hydration is a is a good question just being hydrated alone um shouldn't affect your blood pressure in a negative way oftentimes people with high blood pressure if you're if, you're, if you have a lot of salt in your diet that can increase your blood pressure so salt has the effect of holding on to water in your in your body so if there's a lot of salt you're going to hold on to a lot more fluid and you're not going to get rid of that fluid through your kidneys so that that can have a detrimental effect so oftentimes um, we recommend a low salt diet to someone who is um, struggling with blood pressure now a lot of foods especially canned foods have a lot of salt in them it's amazing how much salt is put into most anything salt and sugar yeah I think this and this is a, a good point for me to sort of uh, push the DASH diet here. Um, you know, the DASH diet is a is one of the studied diets that uh, it stands for Dietary Approaches to Stop Hypertension. And it, it really stresses reducing the sodium and incorporating high quality, rich nutrient foods. And if anyone wants more information, then you can do a quick Google search for DASH diet, that's D-A-S-H diet. And the Mayo Clinic has a great article on it. You can read through um, if you want to start making some sort of changes in your diet to help your blood pressure. And that's a, a good place to start. Thanks. It's amazing how people don't eat real food anymore. You know, that's the one thing, um, you know. Yeah, I think oftentimes, yeah, just, just simply taking out processed food and replacing it with real food essentially has that same effect. You're, you're reducing the amount of sodium in your diet and you're increasing the amount of nutrients just because of that the manufacturing process, the, the way food is processed, a lot of those preservatives, and I think salt is used as a preservative often, um, 
and they're just really high sodium foods that are coming out of factories. So just the simple effect of adding in whole food can can drop the amount of salt you're taking in. Uh, welcome and to Mind Body Health. Go ahead with your question. Hey. Are you there, caller? You're live on the radio. Hang on just a second. Welcome to Mind Body Health. You're live on the radio. Oh uh, yes, I just took my. I just. I just counted my heart rate, and it was seventy. Mind Body Health. You're live on the radio. Hello. Yeah, you're live. If you could turn down your radio in the background, that'd be helpful. And it was seventy. Hello. Hello. Go ahead with your question. You're live on Mind Body Health. Okay, I just took my my um, count, and it was seventy on one arm and 76 on the other arm. What does that tell me anything? You're talking about your pulse rate there. Yes. Correct? Yeah, so that's that, I mean th- that's a that's a good question. Your your heart rate is going to vary from minute to minute. So, you know, if you take your heart rate on one side and you take it on the other, there's going to be slight variance. It's going to go up and down a few numbers. Your heart rate seems like it's a normal normal range. Um, I don't think that really tells us anything um, in particular. I w- I'm not wouldn't be worried about it, and I wouldn't get too excited about it either. Welcome to Mind Body Health. You're live on the radio. Hi, I was wondering if a doctor could talk about statins, and especially statins on top of amlodipine and losartan. If you're taking already taking those things, thank you. Thanks. Sure. So the the, the statin. Um, the statins are an interesting group of medications. Um, often people are on a torvastatin or um, Lipitor. Um, the statins help reduce the level of lipids um, or cholesterol in your body. And they're sort of, you know, what I think of as like a trifecta. Diabetes, high cholesterol, and high blood pressure. Those are really going to damage your vessels. Um, taking a statin... The studies really show that it reduces your um, risk of cardiovascular events. It, it reduces your risk of um, strokes. So, that, and it, what the statins basically do is it stabilizes the the plaques of cholesterol that are in your in your blood vessels. So, over time, when you have high levels of cholesterol, you have streaks or plaques of, of cholesterol build up on the inside of your blood vessel and the statin medication stabilize those and sort of reduce the chances of those sort of breaking off and causing a stroke or a heart attack. So what's the doctor saying at 463-7495, 463-7495? So you, we're about to end the show. The take home you want people to remember from the show is? So blood pressure is a silent disease. You may not know you have it. Or you may have it and you may not notice it, but it's really important. And, you know, years down the road, you're going to thank yourself if you if you get that blood pressure under control. Go well, see a primary care doc. And you can even go to Walgreens. Don't Doesn't Walgreens have those things you just put your arm in and they... I think they do, but I think with with COVID, they, they sort of stopped. Oh, is that right? Yeah, I, I think so. That's what one of my patients told me okay. the other day. Yeah, get a blood pressure cuff and see your primary care. So we've got just a few minutes left. How about taking one more question? Welcome to Mind Body Health. You got just a couple minutes. Go ahead with your question. 
Welcome to Mind Body Health. You're live on the radio. Go ahead with your question. Hi. Um, my question has to do also with uh, medication and bloatapine. Um, I started taking it recently because of um, um, seeing an increase in blood pressure and uh, uh, some pain in my chest, angina. And um, although the dose was low, uh, 5 milligrams, I found that I started itching on my ribs. And I'm wondering whether that's a common occurrence with this drug or whether it might be a binder within the medication that I'm allergic to. Thanks for the call. Hmm. That's a that's a good question. The most common side effect that I'm loaded you know, the one that we sort of you know worry about the most is, is swelling. Oftentimes people develop swelling in their legs. Um, the itching, you know, any medication can cause an allergic reaction. I'm not sure sort of where your particular itching is coming from is hard for me to say. Um, I don't know, Dr. Trotter, if you have any yeah, thoughts. It's not, it's not common. That certainly isn't a common side effect. I've never heard of anybody say that about Norvask. So it would be good for them to see their regular uh, family care doctor and discuss that with yeah. them. And just as an ending, join KZYX. Thank you, Cobb. Um, residency program is wonderful. And um, thank you for coming to Ukiah, Dr. Singh. Yeah, thank you guys so much for having me on the show. It's a, a good time. Yeah, give your number one more time, Dr. Singh. Yeah, so our number is 707-463-7495. All right, thanks for joining us. And thank you for being here, Dr. Marvin Trotter, and, and bringing attention to the Family Residency Program here in Ukiah. Thank you again, Cobb, for making it all work. And with that, it's been the Mind Body Health Show, everybody. You've been tuned to KZYX. If you enjoy this program, if you enjoy other programs like Loose Cannon Classics with Susan Jewell, which is coming up in just a few seconds, uh, we hope you'll stay tuned, keep listening, um, and thanks for supporting us. If you've been a longtime supporter, if you'd like to become a member, find out what that's about and how significant that is, call 895-2324 and talk to one of our staff members. Thanks, everybody. 